listening to the cannabis hangout two girls one bowl and a podcast that is breaking the stigma of marijuana my name is brandon and my name is saba we will be connecting with the community of cannabis enthusiasts by educating people sharing stories from medical marijuana patients and interviewing industry leaders while debunking cannabis myths so we invite you to come roll with us while we break break it all down. down Hey friends, welcome to a new episode. My name is Brandon, And I'm Saba. And we are your host of the Cannabis Hangout. In today's conversation, we have a little bit of a different perspective with a former law enforcement officer for nearly a decade before he became a cultivator of the plant. Calling us all the way from Vermont, we're here to learn more about his personal journey. So please welcome Mark to the Cannabis Hangout. Hey, Mark. How's it going? Hey, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to chat with us. So let's just start from the very beginning of your cannabis journey. Where did you first consume? What was that story like? Do you remember? I do. It was was actually my stepbrother introduced me to it, um, and he lived in Canada. So this was actually smuggled. Oh, wow. Across (laughs) the border. Yeah. (laughs) Yikes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. um, Man, probably was... 13 maybe okay 12, do you remember what you felt like yeah. I, hungry hungry really hungry yeah i yeah yeah and i've had the worst munchies ever since i started smoking and that's never changed from day one till today it's <laughs> It it's just almost keeps, an issue how, uh, how hungry I get. Yeah. It keeps your appetite. Yeah, you get hungry. Is it any strain uh, you smoke or is it something like more specific or just really cannabis in general? It doesn't matter what it is. I get the worst hunger imaginable. <laughs> That's funny. I guess it could be probably for some people who like need an appetite to eat, yeah. you know, but like for you, it's like the opposite way, right? <laughs> I feel like I can relate to that in some way. Like I love food. No, it's yeah. It, no, it's it's like almost a problem. Like it's that bad. I don't know what it is. Some some people I know don't get hungry and munchies, but yeah. no, not this guy. Not this yeah. Guy. Well, hopefully you just like work out and stuff and <laughs> take care of your body, so you don't have to gain a bunch of yeah. weight. With it. Balance. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, Mark, what do you personally use cannabis for, and how would you say it's benefited your life? You know, I. I had to stop smoking, you know, while I was on the job, um, you know, and I'm not really much of a drinker, so okay. definitely kind of just to, definitely to decompress and just kind of, you know, feel more relaxed and kind of centered. Yeah. Get my chi where it kind of needs to be. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's really what I use it for. And that's more, I, you know, I'm not much of a daytime smoker, just um, not because I have an issue with it, just... I, I really am not very productive. Yeah. If I do smoke. To each his own. Yeah. So it's kind of like, yeah, it's like five o'clock on the end of the day, sit in my glass of wine. I'll have like a pre roll. Yeah. It's like your treat at I the end of the day. Down. Like I killed it today. So now I get to exactly. smoke about it. Exactly. So is, we know everyone's family dynamics are very different. Is your family pretty supportive of the work you do in the industry that you're in and your consumption of cannabis? Yeah, I mean, not just for the cannabis, but everything I've done is completely different than, you know, anything that mm-hmm. my family has done. So, 
you know, I come from a background of lawyers and doctors in my family. Okay. And, you know, I, you know, I went to college, but went right out, you know, joined the military, went to law enforcement. And I guess they were really, con- they were confused that I decided to get into the cannabis industry. Yeah. Um, and you know, yeah, besides like a sister, nobody else in my family consumes. Oh, really? Okay. Are they yeah. like support? Yeah. So they're like proud of what you're doing now? I don't know. Are they they not support it? Yeah. Yeah. No, proud would be an overstatement. I yeah. think they like seeing, you know, my business. So I run it with my wife. I think they like seeing okay. us being entrepreneurs, yeah. being proactive. But, you know, it's funny you say that. So I was talking to my mom, who's the doctor, and she's like, all right, so, you know, you're not really smoking your own stuff, right? So I'm thinking she's like, you know, don't get high in your own supply kind of deal. Yeah. No, she was giving me a drug. She was giving me a drug speech. Oh, really? She's like, wait, you actually smoke? And I'm like, well, yeah, mom. You think I grow it and sell it and right. partake? Yeah. So, no, she she doesn't, you know, they like wine, but in her words, mm-hmm. she doesn't like the way cannabis is because it makes her feel to the point she doesn't have control. Yeah. You know, it's not mm-hmm. like not like a nice wine buzz where you're still functional, I guess, for her. Yeah, I feel just, like that's a pretty... It never, um, never really worked. I feel like that's a common thing for... Um, I want to say, like, our parents or, like, a generational thing. Yeah, I'm like not older, sure, but, like, that's yeah. that's very familiar to me. Like, I, even my mm-hmm. dad saying that. Like, he, he loves... You know, not loves to drink, but, you know, he obviously doesn't smoke cannabis, but prefers, you know, alcohol over that. But it's like kind of the same thing with him. He it's the control. It's there. You know, you're not really sure you can control your drink. Right. But the yeah, amount you intake. But yeah, I know. I know what you're saying. It's, yeah. I think, yeah. You know, I think it's like almost scary to them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So what, you know, especially being a cultivator, your mom's a doctor. So being a cultivator is what's. What's that like trying to do? Because I know like, I okay, so my mom, she wasn't a doctor, but she like always listened to her doctors and like whatever her doctor said she did, yeah. you know? And so like me coming to her with the science of cannabis, she just like was like, it just doesn't make sense. Like, you know, I just don't like my doctor, my doctor's right. So like, what's that dynamic like with your mom being a doctor and then like, you know, the science of like how healing the cannabis plant can be and the medicinal values of it. Like, is there like, a little bit of like rift there yeah you know i i can't really speak as far as like physiological but you know the way i talked to her about it you know on every metric cannabis is safer than alcohol you know i mean because alcohol is, it, it's essentially poison you know mm-hmm. it gets cirrhosis right. of the liver you know and even like impaired driving you know i would much rather see someone smoke and drive than drink and drive um and she just, it's just that disconnect, you know, of, you know, recreational versus medicinal. And she just doesn't seem to see the medicinal side of it. Yeah. You know, it's just mm-hmm. viewed as recreation. Yeah. And, you know, she's been a doctor for so long. It's, it's, it's hard to convince someone otherwise. Yeah. You know, yeah. It really is. Especially I feel like as our parents get older, they get even more set in their ways. And so it's hard to sometimes it's hard to break that unless they are willing to be open to breaking it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's, you know, my dad is kind of the same way. He told me he smoked once, but did the, the old Bill Clinton, you know, didn't actually inhale. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But 
he's actually a little more open to it. You know, he's been having some health issues and, you know, he's telling me about this headache that he's had for a week. I'm like, dad, you know, it's not just cannabis, you know, the terpenes really make a difference. So I'm trying to explain to him the different terpenes. Okay. I said, you need to go to the store with me and they'll explain everything to you. So I brought him in and they're explaining different terpenes and, you know, they suggested like these one milligram edibles, which is I think like the perfect amount for him because he's never consumed especially he's never done edibles. Um, but he couldn't quite pull the trigger. He's like, I got to talk to my doctor first, see if it's okay. Yeah. And that's kind of, that's kind of where the conversation is. Yeah. That's very familiar to me. So I can understand that. So you're, you're yeah. in Vermont. What are the cannabis laws yep. out there? Like with like grows and dispensaries and like, I guess how long has it been like medically legal there? So medically legal, you know, I couldn't give you a date, but it's yeah. been quite a long time. Okay. And there was only, I want to say, maybe half a dozen dispensaries for medical. Okay. And, you know, it was decriminalized back in, I want to say, 2013, and then fully legalized, I think, 2018. And then the Vermont cannabis market um, opened up last fall. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. So what, what does it look like, like as a patient for a patient experience in Vermont? Like what's it look like? How much access do you guys, cause I know state to state is so different, especially with, you know, states who have just more recently gotten access. Like I remember going to New Mexico last year in August and they had just, you know, it had just become recreational there, but they didn't have, I mean, they barely had any product anywhere. They were just starting to get stuff on their shelves. So yeah. what's that like in regards to, you know, for you guys? Because in Oklahoma, it was the complete opposite. Like, there was an infiltration of stuff. Um, so what's that been like for you guys in regards to, you know, like the patient experience and, you know, bud tending and all of that? You know, it's actually not that friendly um, to patients because as a, a patient, yeah, I mean, you definitely get the benefit of buying it tax-free, which is nice. But you can't just take your medical card and go to any dispensary. You have to pick a dispensary, and okay. it has to be a medical dispensary. And that's the only place you can get stuff. And, again, there's only a handful. Okay. So unless that dispensary happens to carry a type of product you want, mm -hmm. you, can't go, you can't go to a recreational dispensary and get tax-free. Um, if you want that tax-free benefit, it has to be a medical one, and they're not giving out any more licenses to that, to okay. those. And you have to, and you have to pick one, and that's the only one you can shop. So at. you can't like hop around, nope. like that's interesting. If, if you wanna, if you wanna buy like anybody else, you can, mm. but you're not gonna, you're not gonna get that tax free benefit. Okay, that's yeah. Interesting. It's always so interesting how state and, to state people are so vastly different. Well, yeah. Why do they do it with one dispensary? Like, why do they make it to be like this? Has to be like your home, your home dispensary. That's, I don't, I, you know, I don't know the logic behind it, hmm. um, and I've never really gotten a clear answer of why that is. Yeah, that's interesting for sure. That's very interesting. Yeah, but but yeah, it was a definite scramble for, um, you know, opening day, which mm -hmm. was October. So, what they did is they handed out cultivators' licenses in June, gave people six months to grow, and then opened up retail in October. Oh, and we were. And yeah, we had the fourth indoor license in the state. So we were ready to rock and roll come mm -hmm. October, you know, but it, there just wasn't a lot of selection. So yeah, I mean, it was great for us, Yeah, you know, cause we were one of the only, we were one of the first on the market uh -huh. in a lot of these stores. And so we were, you know, struggling to keep up, but there's definitely been starting to even out more for sure. 
So what does what does like testing look like in your state? Do you guys have testing? What does regulation look like on that end? Yeah, so testing, it's pretty comprehensive. So as a cultivator, you know, we do our potency testing. Um, terpene testing is optional. Most dispensaries won't accept any products unless you have that terpene test, mm -hmm. which, you know, which I think makes sense. Um, there's pesticide tests, heavy metals, um, and um, like fungus and bacteria. I forget the okay. Test. Yeah. So it's due. And you have Go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. So, yeah. So you send that in for testing. It then, you know, it has to be approved by the state to show not only your packaging is compliant, but your flower is compliant. And then once it gets approved from the state, then the retailers can sell it. Okay. Wow. It's a little bit different of a yeah. process than what we have, but. That is. Wow. Yeah. So interesting. So I want to dive in so much deeper, but to flip the script a little, Mark, um, before we dive deeper into who you are and what you do, will you tell us a little bit in your own words about what you do and who you are? Yeah. I mean, so currently, you know, my wife and I are cultivators. Um, that's where most of my time gets spent. Um, prior to that, being um, military veteran, you know, law enforcement held a couple other odd jobs here and there. I was a Abercrombie model for a short time. <laughs> That's um, cool. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I mean, this is what, you know, this is what we do now. Um, I do have a side business of being a private investigator, um, which doesn't take up too much of my time, but it's, you know, a little side money to keep myself busy. As yeah, well. for sure. That's cool. So, um, Coming from like a law enforcement background, then Mark, what was your point of view like with cannabis during those years? Yeah, so I, you know, I smoked up until I think like a month before I went to the police academy, um, just because okay. I had to take a drug test. So I, you know, I always had a positive relationship with it, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I, I always voted for the cannabis party on the on the elections, but that didn't really make a difference but you know i came into law enforcement in a weird transitional period because that was like right before it got decriminalized um and when i did start you know i was working at a university police department so most of the time cannabis was only related to students mm -hmm. but like 99 percent of the time it was you know ras would do like room checks and they would come across it you know and they weren't allowed to take it so they would call the police and we would come and collect it. And then the school would, you know, write up the kids kind of deal. Got it. And then, you know, once I transferred to an actual municipal department, you know, it was, it was decriminalized and pretty much legal. You know, I never really gave, I didn't really care to jam anyone up about it. Cause at worst it was a ticket mm -hmm. and, you know, I guess my own biases, I didn't really care about it. So I wasn't going to, jam someone up especially when they just have a small amount they're not doing anything wrong right yeah right wow it's um but you know go ahead yeah i mean there were times in my career where you know it just i had to take action you know against some people um just because it was in it was there you know mm -hmm. there's not the not to get too specific but there's an in, like a gun incident this guy lost his mind started shooting his gun out in his front yard and so we did a, a search of his house and there's like a couple pounds sitting right there. So we didn't go looking for it. Right. It was literally in plain view. So at that point you can't not take action on it. Yeah. So, 
yeah. most of the time, that's what most of those interactions were. It just happened to be there. You know, I, I wasn't on like the drug task force, you mm-hmm. know, taking down illegal grow ops or anything <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah. You know, you know, I was just a normal police officer. You know, I would, you know, respond to domestics, shoplifting, disturbances. That that was those were the calls I would take. And yeah, sometimes cannabis was involved in it. Mm-hmm. And you know, I couldn't not do something. Everything we do is recorded. Yeah. So, you know, I would have, I would, you know, I would have been fired if I didn't do something. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there weren't too many of those instances. So. So when you said it be- it became decriminalized. Um, as you know, you entered a municipal um, department, were you guys getting like drug tested for cannabis? Like, were you smoking then after it became decriminalized or was that something like that was still not allowed for you guys? No, you you still weren't able to, Um, you know, I never actually got tested while I was in, but the threat was always there. Yeah. So I, I would have loved to have because the stress of the job, you know, is insane, you know, and I wasn't a drinker and I didn't want to, you know, kind of supplement my stress by resorting to alcohol. Um, and I wish I could have partaken it. I just, I didn't want to risk, you know, losing my job. You know, I had, a, you know, I had retirement health benefits. So I, and it, it would have affected more than just me, you know, my wife at the time, at the time still at the time, mm-hmm. you know, we were on the same health insurance. So I didn't want to risk losing that job, you know, for, what I thought was a selfish reason because I wanted to smoke. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. So when, when, well, go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. What were you saying? Oh, so when was your personal turning point then with like the cannabis plant to where like you realized it was healing and that there was like more ways to use it? You know, I always, when I was younger, it was definitely just for fun. But I would encounter a lot of people, you know, because you have a lot of discretion on some things. And especially when it became decriminalized, you had the discretion whether you took the cannabis away from someone, wrote them a ticket, or just let them go on their way. It was at that point I stopped looking at it in a purely recreational fashion. Because, you, cause that, you know, when I was working initially, it was just college kids. Yeah. Yeah. So it was more of like a party scene. But when I actually encountered real people with real life problems and jobs and everything, you know, I again, I never thought of it as, you know, some terrible evil drug. I just thought it was something fun to do. That's Mm -hmm. when I kind of started. People actually use this, you know, in their everyday life, not to get all messed up and have a good time. But they relied on it in in a therapeutic way, which which I thought was great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what was your transition into um, getting into cultivation? Like, have you always had a green thumb? Was that some like, what was that moment where you, where you and your wife decided you wanted to leave law enforcement enforcement and get into cannabis? Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't an immediate transition. Um, it was like a two year gap, but they passed, they'd always been trying to pass legislation in Vermont to legalize and have a recreational market. Um, it, it years ago it had passed the house, but not the Senate. And at that point, I'm, I was expecting it to happen. So we were already kind of getting an idea of what we wanted to do, but our initial thought was more of the retail side. Cause I didn't have a green thumb by any means, you know, we had like a home garden, mm-hmm. but it, it was, you know, it was like a homeowner's version. It was very minimal. And then, you know, just, we were looking into it and retail just seemed so complicated, very expensive, 
we didn't want investors and then we just decided it was something that we could do on our own just the two of us and then we didn't need staff we didn't need outside funding and so that's the route we went and so we chose um, a grow tier that was small that we could do you know at our own on our own property and at the house so okay. that was kind of what made us go that route instead of retail okay that's that's awesome. So you also have a medical dispensary called the Evidence Room, which I think is a really cool name. Um, what's that been? What's that journey been like for you? And what made you guys want to go vertically integrated from you know having a cultivation and then now opening up a storefront? Oh, so I, sorry. Point of clarification that that's just the the medical dispensary. That's just an Instagram thing because that's the only thing that we could use that says cannabis. Oh, okay. There's no. Yeah, sorry, I didn't. You're not the first person to mention that, so we're probably going to have to change that. Yeah, I um, mean, that's a great um, just, store name. <laughs> I know. So I, in full disclosure, that was like a running joke amongst officers. Like, oh, you know, when we get done being cops, we're going to open up a, a dispensary called the Evidence Room. And so everybody hmm. I knew were lifers, so I took the name. Ah, well, it's smart, and I you know. definitely should make it a Spencer. I know that. that's actually a really good name. <laughs> I don't know why it's not real. <laughs> it might, it might, maybe one day, maybe one day. Yeah. So, as a as a cultivator in, because I know what it's like in Oklahoma. You know what, how cultivators sell here. They have salespeople. They have teams. They can outsource through, you know, um, like distribution companies. What's what's it like for a cultivator? in Vermont to get your product out to dispensaries because I mean, I'm sure they capped licenses on growers as well, but you know, every, a lot of people have product and getting it out to minimal number of number of dispensaries. Like what's that like for you? It's a lot of cold calling. Um, honestly, like a lot of stuff on Instagram, um, and a lot of just driving to dispensaries and dropping off samples. Yeah. About how many dispensaries would you say you guys have in Vermont? Just like ballpark i think i think they're like in the mid 30s give wow. or take that's so wild because so in oklahoma we're in like the yeah. thousands range oh yeah well i mean vermont's only i think six hundred thousand population oh, okay so not so crazy big i've never not, been to vermont but i need to make my way up there it's really nice it is really nice that's what i hear but yeah no the biggest thing is just trying to get our name out there and it's definitely competitive even though it's only been you know what like six seven months it's definitely competitive for sure hmm. um and one of the things we've done is you know our branding we try to make it stand out but one of the other things that we've changed is we don't sell prepackaged flour anymore all we do is pre-rolls okay. and you know the reason for that is you buy from one of these mso's or larger companies or any company you don't know actually know what's going in it you know it could be trim could be bee buds or shake where with us when we say you know the a buds and everything goes in there you know who's going to believe us well we don't sell flour so it's going somewhere mm -hmm. and that was one of the you know the kind of ideas we came up with and everything's made to order so we don't pre-make anything and it sits around so we just made a pretty big delivery and we literally took the flour ground it and put it in the pre-rolls and we delivered it the next day so oh, wow. that everything is, you know, nice and fresh. And that's, yeah. you know, that's kind of the, that's kind of our sales pitch is that, you know, you're not getting random flour in your pre-rolls. You're getting the best and it was made yesterday. 
Okay, so you guys do pre-roll. So you sell you sell your actual or you sell you sell your actual flower, right? In pre-roll form. Oh, but it's only in pre-roll pre form. form. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we don't okay. yeah, we don't sell nugs or anything like that. I got you. Okay. Um, yeah, and we do like some fun stuff. You know, we do a cross joint, which is pretty popular. Yeah. Like in the movie Pineapple Express, mm -hmm. uh, we started making these five and a half gram canagars that burn for about an hour. Wow, um, those nice. are popular. Um, you know, we do, you know, regular paper, we do blunts. Um, our dog walkers popular where you guys are. Okay. Yeah, we have we have a company that has dog walkers. Dog walkers are very popular here. We do dog walkers. We actually do dog walker blunts, so they have these little mini blunts oh, coming cool. in eight Oh, What? That's cool. Those those are really popular. Yeah, we, I think we're the only ones doing those right now. That's cool. <laughs> That's and, neat. Yeah, so uh, with like different laws in Vermont, like I know they make it to where like you're not like limitations, right? To where like you can't, you know, do you have to abide by their rules. Kind of hitting back on the flower, the prepackaged flower thing. I only ask this because there's there's a law in passing now in Oklahoma to where like all flour will have to be prepackaged, and there's a lot of people who like don't know how to feel about it, you know? And yeah, they sell they sell bulk or something yeah typically. so it's just kind of yeah it's most growers do here you know it's not there's really a lot of people really don't do pre-packaged but a lot of people feel messed up about feeling like they have to do that or that's going to become a thing you know well it's time it's very time consuming mm -hmm. yeah you know, it takes a long time to package your products yeah. you know or for some people who they just want to grow it trim it sell it by the pound Mm -hmm. you know it's gonna, that'd be tough for them you know and i can i can definitely sympathize yeah and then it even just like keeping the flower fresh or transparency harder, i feel like yeah transparency it, and keeping it fresh yeah. i feel like becomes a little bit harder unless exactly. you're paying top quality for the best you know yeah bags which i mean not not deli everyone, style. yeah not everyone can afford to do that no and you know some you know one of the dispensaries you know, I, I sell to, they won't buy prepackaged flour. They only do deli style because they, mm -hmm. they want to know what they're selling. Yes. Yeah. And you like, know, I agree it. with that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. And I like the deli style cause I can go in this one place, you know, I'm like, I can buy a gram at a time if I want to. And so I like to try other people's products, mm -hmm. but I don't necessarily want to commit to a full eighth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Know? Which is nice. So one gram at a time. Yeah. yeah. So you know, plus the discount as well. I like as well. So. Yes, that is nice. Okay, let's pause for a minute and talk about Oklahoma's grassroots cannabis publication, Herbage Magazine. They are in over 500 dispensaries statewide, providing cannabis education and supporting and highlighting the local communities. For more information, visit HerbageMag.com. That's H-E-R-B-A-G-E-M-A-G.com. If you're ever in the Oklahoma City area, check out Chill Dispensary at 22 Northeast 10th Street. They're good people with hand-washed, single-source, live rosin, flour, pre-rolls, and other solventless products. So go show them some love and enjoy a chill experience. Now, back to the episode. So you're a small batch cultivator. How do you choose to grow your cannabis? What's your, you know, what's your process look like? How do you pick your strains? How do you know, how do you know what you want to grow? 
yeah, so I mean, we're small. Our license here is the smallest that you can get. It's um, a thousand square feet of canopy, but we on, we're only doing one strain at the moment until we we're doing an outdoor a greenhouse this year. So we'll have a second strain, but you know, we just tested out. We just bought a whole bunch of different seeds. We grew probably 15 or 20 different strains and you know, bubble gum is the one we landed on. You know, the terpenes are amazing. It smells great. You know, we're more of indica kind of people towards that end of the day, mm-hmm. just kind of re- you know, unwind, you know, not more of a sativa. And that's just kind of how we, we kind of got there. Um, as far as, you know, the growing goes, you know, we switched over to a living soil. We have, you know, a nice drip irrigation system. We pump in supplemental CO2, um, you know, really high quality HLG grow lights, and we also use reverse osmosis water, and we have a little water system. Um, and that's just kind of the basics on, you know, kind of how we do it. Mm-hmm. As, as, as far as, like, pest management, uh, we don't really have too much of an issue with it. We, we kind of rely more of a natural way. We have a bunch of ladybugs that live with us in the, in the grow space. And they kind of... Awesome. They do like 95% of the work, but we'll still spray um, these, these, the plants with some stuff, which is heavily regulated by the state. They literally give you a list of approved pesticides and fungicides. And we picked one that was all natural, you know, no harmful chemicals or anything like that. Right. What is the name of your company called? It's called the evidence room. Oh, okay. So you're okay. Got you. That's awesome. So living in Vermont, what's something that you feel like the state of Vermont does really well within the cannabis industry? And where do you feel like, because I know you guys just started, where do you feel like y'all still have work to do? Um, You know, what I think they've done right, again, it's, you know, it's a little too soon to tell, but their, their idea is that they want to basically fund the market with as many small cultivators as possible. You know, they don't want these large MSOs coming in from out of state and dominating the market. And they've actually restricted how many of these top tier places that they can do. And, you know, they're doing inventory tracking. So they're tracking how much is sold and how much is being grown. And they don't want an oversaturation of the market. Like you've seen, you know, California and Colorado, their markets have you know, somewhat collapsed mm-hmm. because it's just flooded. There's there's so much product available that you have to drop your prices to rock bottom just to get on the shelves. Yeah. And that's how it was in Oklahoma for a little bit too. Yeah. Yeah. And you, that's their whole idea is that they, they want to keep it for Vermonters and they don't want to put small cultivators out of business because in their legislation, they, they said like X percent of the market they want done by small tiered cultivators. Um, and I'm, I think it's going okay. Um, you know, I would say that things I think might need to be improved there. The, the concentrate limits are pretty low. It's only 60% on concentrates, which it's, it's tough because, you know, a lot of concentrates are far more than that. So you're kind of limiting yourself on what you can do, which I thought was odd. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a 30% cap on flour, which I'm not all bent out of shape about just because I don't know a ton of flour that reaches, you know, that's mm-hmm. going to go way beyond 30% anyway. Yeah. So, um, 
but yeah, I mean, some of the other things, you know, they banned pl any form of plastic, which, you know, the environmentalist in me, I understand, but the capitalist in me doesn't like it. Yeah. Because it's, it's so expensive. Packaging is so ridiculously expensive. And if you're trying to use something that's not plastic, you just don't have a lot of options yeah. out there. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. And that's, you know, so, you know, our, our eight, our eight packs come in these like Altoid tins, you know, that's compliant, but they're not, you know, they're not hundred percent airtight. So, you know, we still add these two gram moisture packs and, you know, our pre-rolled tubes are made of cardboard. Oh, but cool. Okay. You've got to get creative. So it's not horrible, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But the problem is you go into a store and 25 different companies all use the exact same packaging. Right. Yeah. So it's like, so it's hard to so stand just, out in that aspect. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely hard to stand out. Yeah. Um, but you know, my other complaint is it, it's a new market and the CCB, who, the Cannabis Control Board, they're very overworked and understaffed. And that's, I think that's just growing pains, but it's, it is. And they're trying to figure them. it out. Yeah. You can't call them. No one will answer the phone. Wow. And <laughs> stressful. And you, know, you send an email and maybe a week later you'll get a response or sometimes I won't respond at all. Yeah. Jeez. It's a little frustrating. I, yeah. I feel like I any mean, place that starts out with that, I mean, that's yeah. how like the OMMA, the Oklahoma medical marijuana authority here, like they was... were like that for a little bit and it was so hard to get a hold of them. That was when we just got metric, which is our seed to sale tracking system. And like they yeah. stopped answering phones because they were just getting an influx of phone calls. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So we, we went with, I don't think it was metric. It was another one of those companies, but their, their monthly fee was like $600 a month for inventory tracking, Yeah, which is just insane. So I found a startup that does the same thing. Um, the guy's a, a, a military vet, you know, like me mm -hmm. and they were like a hundred and something bucks a month oh, and wow. I can do it from my phone and it's easy, you know, wow. that's a big difference. But we, yeah, and we have to report to the state every two weeks. They have an online form, and you you not only report what you have for plants, but you also have to do a separate inventory report of what you sold to what dispensary. Oh, wow. It's done after each sale. Yeah. So we, yeah, and you can't, where a lot of states, it'll be uploaded right from your inventory tracking software, mm -hmm. but that's not even that's not even an option here. Wow, it's so interesting to see how other states differ from where we I know, are and how we do stuff. It sounds like uh, any dispensary there, like you pretty much have to bet on your loyal customers yeah. to like, if you can only go to one place like that, like you have to kind of bet yeah. on those people coming back and yeah. back. You know, I don't know the number of people in the the medical program, so I... I, it's unfortunate for them, but, yeah. you know, but for the average consumer, you know, any consumer can go to anyone they want, which is nice. Um, yeah. But yeah, I feel bad for the medical patients. Yeah. Medical specifically. Medical, yeah. You know, yeah. I see what and you're saying. Last I checked, I, yeah, I believe every medical dispensary in Vermont is now owned by an MSO. Hmm. Which is unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how they're getting you with the tax, <laughs> but yeah. Hmm. Well, Mark, Surrounding the cannabis plant, what is a stigma that you would like to see changed? Oh, that's a good question. I think more education. I think people mm -hmm. need to be educated on it. 
yeah. you know, because there's still a lot of people that just refuse to use it. And it's not just older people, too. It's people my age, people right. younger than me. Um, they just don't want to touch it because they've been it's been made out to be, you know, the boogeyman, right. you know, reefer madness type nonsense. Exactly. And, and I don't know how that goes about being changed. You know, there's definitely a culture for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and there's definitely a culture in Vermont, which I, I was not expecting, like a culture within the legalized market. It's very, very clicky, which I was not expecting. I thought everyone's going to kind of come together, different backgrounds, different yeah. people kind of come together in this market. It's oh, you would not believe the backstabbing that goes on. It's crazy. Yeah, wow. that's so interesting. Yeah, I can't. Almost every dispensary that I've been in, they will tell you if you sell to this other dispensary, we will no longer carry your products. What? That's so much like unnecessary and, drama, I feel but, like. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the laws so, have made so, it to where you feel like you have to do that, though. So, yeah. like, it's the government creating yeah. that. No. Of course. Um, some of it's some of it's personal. Some of it. Some of it's I, I understand in the sense of yeah. if you have a dispensary across the street, you know, they want exclusivity. Yes. And I understand um, that. But let's a lot be of real. It's personal. Yeah. 100%. I mean, like you're all trying yeah. to grind and hustle here. Like, I mean, you can only yeah. move so much within, you know, a set of rules. So. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not the biggest um, fan in the industry just because of my background. Yeah. And we've actually we've faced quite a bit of backlash because of that as well. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of. There's some people out there, you know, a couple posts like, I can't believe that they would let an ex-cop, you know, be in the cannabis industry because of the amount of lives he's destroyed. I'm like, okay, first of all, that's ridiculous. I've never destroyed anybody's life because of cannabis. Yeah. And it's just a generalization they have. It again, is. Yeah. Know. It is. It yeah. is. That's unfortunate. Yeah, I'll call up a yeah. I actually, before I talked to you guys, I called up a dispensary, like a cold call. I introduced myself. He's like, oh, you're the cop. Uh- Yep, that's that's me. That's me, I guess. But I mean, that's it's also cool to see what you're doing because you're you're part of helping break that stigma of what you know people think. And I'm sure, you know, some of your first clientele might may have they may not have said it, but had the same passing thought. But you maybe got to prove that you know thought different with now they love you and you're you know they're your repeated customer. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I think the consumer doesn't care. Um, it's the retailer. Like, we actually lost a retailer after they found out my background. They just don't want to work with us anymore. Mm. And we had a great relationship up until that point. You know, I'd, I'm the one that does the deliveries. So we'd go in, we'd smoke, we'd joke, mm-hmm. have a good time, and then be like, hey, one of the dispensers like, hey, my business partner told me about your background, and I don't think it's going to work anymore. Oh, I'm like, that's Seriously? so unfortunate. Like, it that, is, you yeah. know, and if people actually, if people actually knew my background, they might have a different opinion. So, um, once I got out of college, um, a friend of mine, you know, we got into the same law school and he ended up going, I decided not to, but shortly after I got into law enforcement, he calls me up. He's like, Hey, you know, I'm working this DUI case. He's a defense attorney. He's like, can you give me some pointers? Like, what am I looking at here? Because, you know, DUI laws might be different in each state, mm-hmm. but the standardized, you know, the field sobriety tests, those don't change no matter what state. And so I looked at it. I'm like, yeah, this is what this means. I said, you know, 
you might want to pay attention. I said, and I pointed out some errors, like the officer didn't do some of the tests right. I said, you should really bring that up. And he got the case dismissed. And so then he just kept sending me more stuff. And some of his, you know, attorney buddies would send information and cases to me to kind of go over. And I've been doing that for, I never told anyone when I was in law enforcement, I was doing this because I probably would have gotten fired, but I've been doing that for years and I still do that. I'll take a look at, you know, these DUI cases and I'll point out errors when I see them, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not a defense attorney and I'm not going to, you know, skew the evidence to support a narrative, but if there's something wrong, I point it out and I've gotten quite a few cases dismissed just because the process wasn't done right. And at the end of the day, it's not, I don't know how else to say it, but it doesn't matter if the person did it or not. It's if, you know, you can prove that beyond a reasonable doubt. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of these cases, you couldn't, and that's the standard. Yeah. Yeah. But nobody, nobody cares that I do that. They just, (laughs) a lot of people just see the the ex cop and right. think I'm the worst human being imaginable. Well, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, there's space in this industry too. I mean, we've seen it here in Oklahoma. Like we say all the time that we would not would never have come in contact with like half these people, more than half that we've have in this industry because everyone comes from such a different background and there's no way we would yeah. have ever crossed paths with them unless it was for cannabis. Like I don't care where you came from. This plant is what's bringing us all together, you know, and like there's plenty as a former, you know, law enforcement people in our state who are in cannabis companies and enjoy it themselves, you know? So like the more the merrier, you got to find the beauty in it. It's just some people are, you know, they just got to open their mind a little bit. It's well, it's funny you say that because that phone call is telling you about when I cold call him, he's like, Oh, you're the cop. And I'm talking to him, like, does that bother you? He's like, well, does it bother you? I used to be a trafficker. I'm like, well, not really. Yeah. (laughs) Not really. You don't care. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, now we're going to work together. Yeah. (laughs) And sometimes things work out, you know, in that instance. Well, Mark, I think this wraps up our episode for today. Thank you so much for spending time with us and sharing your story. We really appreciate you. Yeah. Yeah, it was great talking to you guys, and I, I love your posts. Um, just real quick, what was that event you got? Was that like it was obviously a four twenty event, but it looked a lot of fun. Yeah, it so like you guys are having a great time the other day. We did. We we attended some four twenty stuff, but we're actually about to have like a Cinco de Mayo, like a summer bash that's coming up, which is actually like the next event week. we're super excited about next week. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we're always well, trying I, I to do it. I appreciate you guys. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Yeah, thank you for calling in and just like sharing your story and your journey. And it's always fun to talk to someone from like a totally different state and like mm-hmm. what's going on there. So yeah. we we really appreciate um, you sharing. Yeah, and if you guys ever come to Vermont, let me know. I'll we'll come you find door. you. Okay, that sounds <laughs> great. Right. And anyone listening, you can keep up with the Evidence Room on Instagram. It's at Evidence Room VT for more. And thanks for tuning in to today's episode. We're stoked for you to hear next week's. And as always, um, stay medicated. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season 1 of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. 
Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at DopeHistory.com.